0: Welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast about closing the strategy execution gap and promoting outcome-driven cultures. I'm your host, Jenny Harold, VP of Product Evangelism at GTM Hub. Our mission is to prevent organizational hypocrisy. And inspired by the proven objectives and key results methodology, GTM Hub is the leading platform for strategy execution management, for mission-driven organizations. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. For Gen Poly, OKRs are all about consistency. The framework can be adapted, but as this senior operations partner at Talentful notes, replicable systems are king. On this episode of Dreams with Deadlines, Gem is walking us through the processes and standards Talentful has innovated in the area of recruitment, hiring, and integration, and what resonates most in both client side and internal workplace cultures. A few of the things we talked about. The tools that Talentful provides clients ramping up and expanding. Much as Talentful itself has been doing throughout its steep growth trajectory. Why strategy, replicable work, Decisions and change are among four key areas upon which to focus when it comes to creating and implementing OKRs. The data-driven tools, Talentful leverages to help clients identify, onboard, and retain talent. How to manage competing demands and balance long-term proactive development standards and priorities against near-term reactionary fire drills. And finally, Jem offers up some fun responses to a round of my quick-fire questions. Let's jump in. Excited today because I have Jem Polly with me. She is the senior operations partner at Talonful. A little bit about her background. She joined in 2018, is
1: that right? Uh, yep, yeah, that's right.
0: And then I think you mentioned that you were around 60 people. I think the number you gave me previously was that you were 51 people then. Now you employ around 320 employees. I started in UK, specifically London. Then you built out a Berlin office And I think if I remember correctly, you have three offices that you had built out in the U.S., New York, San Francisco, and Austin. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yes, we have consultants all over the U.S., but there are our main
0: hubs. So let's talk about Talentful, because I think this is a very interesting thing. The war for talent is always like this crazy story, but maybe we start with you and how you got into the game of reinventing the future of recruitment at Talentful. How did you end up doing what you do now? What does that entail?
1: Sure. So I actually started as a teacher um, way, way back in the day and did two years working as a teacher. I didn't love teaching. I liked teaching, but a lot of people that I worked with did love teaching, which was a big indication for me to leave because I didn't. So I then fell into recruitment and didn't really choose it. I was sent to a number of interviews. And really chose Talentful because of the kind of company that it was. I felt that they were trying to do something different. And I was really energized by the desire to do something different. So that was why I joined them and I joined as a recruiter. And as you say, I joined at a time where we were a really young company. They were only about two years old. I think at that time, quite small, as you say, just in London, about 50 people. And the kind of clients we worked with at that time were small. Kind of startups and smbs and we were really their whole recruitment function so instead of hiring in-house or using agencies they they would use talentful so our founders love to tell the story that they've both worked for agencies and also in-house and they felt that there was problems with both so with an agency you get the benefit of a network of recruiters who all understand best practice and can all help each other learn and grow But you are targeted and in your kind of salary is dependent on you making placements, which can sometimes drive the wrong behavior. So that was one. And also the kind of agency's time was split between a number of different companies. And so you didn't have someone laser focused on your business, which in a startup particularly really matters. So for an in-house person, they are very isolated. They don't have that network of people around them to learn and grow from. And also their attention is split between a number of different things and they don't have a support network with them. So Talentful was supposed to be a middle ground and is a middle ground between the two where we have the benefit of lots of people that we can learn and grow from and the support and the leadership and the strategy and stuff that that we can get from people who've been in the space for a long time. But also we're dedicated to your company exclusively and so we can give a really personalized solution, a really personalized way of working that means that you get a hire that fits your culture, that fits your way of working and that will hopefully stay with you for a really long time. So that's where the idea came from and that was very much the world that I walked into and partnered with a number of clients and was really either one of two or by myself and so their entire recruitment function. And I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great because it meant that I could have these really high level conversations with their leadership team about what their business goals were and how we could get them the best hire to make those goals happen. And then I would go away and either build or optimize the recruitment machine um, to make those hires happen. And that might be implementing a new ATS to make sure that we were able to track the right data so that then I could look at my own activity and input the right activity to get the right results or maybe do something like interview training if that's where the blocker was all those kind of things and then would also hire as well what i found was that the bit that i've just described was the bit that i loved which you can probably tell that was the bit that i loved was that kind of whole operational piece and the delivery was something i did and i enjoyed the conversations but it wasn't what really got me up and out of bed in the morning and wasn't what i stayed late to do so What I found was that over the two years of working in recruitment was that Talentful was being really successful. We were starting to move into more enterprise space. And so instead of being a company's whole recruitment function, we were partnering with an existing recruitment function, which naturally meant that our role became more specialist rather than generalist. And so the recruiters that we were hiring, the skill sets that we were developing were more about how to hire people quickly rather than that kind of more operational piece. So I felt that my time within recruitment had ended, but I still loved the company and was really lucky that they clearly thought that I was all right as well. So I moved over into an operational role about two years ago now. And at the same time, the then GM of America moved into a COO role. And so it's just been me and him working our way through building an operations function at Talentpool since then which has been really fun.
0: <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. Let's talk about the operational role because for your organization, you all decided to adopt OKRs or objectives and key results as part of your way to really engage, it sounds like, talentful employee base and really help them stay connected to what it is that you're trying to accomplish as a collective. Can you talk to me a little bit about what, it means to have an operations team at Talentful. What is like that encompass? And then how do OKRs fit into that remit?
1: Sure. Certainly within Talentful, but I'm sure within a lot of companies. Activity within the company typically fits into one of four buckets, if you like. Those being strategy, replicable work, decisions and by decisions, I mean, bigger decisions where you have to choose between making a trade-off in one or more of your key priorities or your key metrics or whatever, and then change. And that could be change to strategy or bigger changes like merger or restructuring your org chart or something like that. And I think the kind of two main things that I've worked on is the strategy piece, which I mean, not in a, I haven't been setting the strategy, but supporting how we set that and the framework and obviously OKRs have been part of that, and then the replicable work piece. And I think a strong strategy will enable every employee to make the right decision in every context. And right is quote unquote right, where we define that as what we believe is currently right today (laughs) and replicable work is more about what activities are happening all the time and how can we standardize those so that then we can put them into a platform automate them and get really valuable data from that which then can be used in those moments where you have to make a decision between one or more of your competing metrics we've got the data to support which one we should do and how big of an impact it's going to have on the metric that we choose not to prioritize in that moment and how can we mitigate that? So that data is a really valuable tool to then make the right decisions. The operations team, I think we, when we started, we were really focused on the replicable work piece. We went straight in with that. And what we realized is that whilst we were trying to standardize all of these things and things like the way that our SDRs make calls. What kind of framework do they use? What information are they collecting from people? Or the way that our internal talent team make hires, how do they gauge a good hire? All of those things should be very replicable, should be very standardized, and they weren't. So we came in to bring some standardization to that. And we did that without clarity on what the strategy was. So I think that the OKR piece came in when we realized that we needed to really articulate that strategy in a way that it could speak for leadership when they weren't in the room so that it could proliferate through our replicable work and the way that we standardised that and so that then we would build up this data that would help us and all those things so that's where it came from and in the first instance we used spreadsheets we were writing it all on spreadsheets and and I think that really helped just to get it down on paper and have since moved to GTM Hub, which is a much nicer interface <laughs> and has given us a lot more clarity there.
0: Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Jim. All right. So something that I think is really useful to talk about, since you mentioned the importance of data and being able to make solid decisions, as well as coupling that with the context, like what is the strategic context in which one would probably need to understand so that they can make good calls for the business? You've once told me, and I loved this, that really the intent of your team at one point and continues to be is really pushing down decision making where the data lives. Can you tell us a bit more what that looks like in the context of the folks that you put on the ground, for example? How do you make that work? What does that look like? Mm,
1: Sure. I can't remember where I read that, but when I did read it, I thought that makes so much sense because quite often I think that where I said that a strong strategy means that people make the right decision when leadership are not in the room, weak strategy or a strategy that hasn't been appropriately communicated will mean that your employees can't make decisions without C-level in the room. And so a lot of those decisions then get pushed up to C-level because your middle managers or even your more junior employees don't feel empowered to make a decision because they're worried about getting it wrong. And so you've got this bottleneck of no decisions happening, no work happening. Unless you've got your CEO basically saying, yep, that's the right decision. And then off you go again. And that obviously causes huge bottlenecks and we don't want that. So the idea of the pushing it down was something that that really resonated with me and something that I wanted to be an objective for our team, I suppose. And what that's meant for us internally, I suppose, is that it's all of that standardization and replicable work and, and trying to get that data into the right systems so that the right people can see it at the right time understanding what our managers need to see to assess performance and help people improve, all those kind of things. In terms of how it helps our people on client side, that's a really difficult question to answer because the way that we work is so integrated with our partners, with our clients, that we typically use, we're on their systems rather than on ours. So I guess the way that it works with our more our delivery team. So our consultants who are on site is being able to feed back some of the data through and back to them so that they can use that to be consultants on site. And that's one of the projects that we're working on right now, which is around how can we, aggregate all of the pipeline activity that's happening across all of our different clients and how can we segment that data? So, that when a client comes to us and says, Well, how long do you think it's going to take us to hire this very complex deep tech role? We've already got a huge data set of pipeline activity with the segmentation of a deep tech role. And we can say, Well, based on the last 75 hires that we've made, it will take X amount of time. And giving our consultants visibility of that will really enable them to level up in the service that we're able to provide our partners, our clients. And yeah, the kind of hires that we're able to make and will help us with our mission to reinvent the future of recruitment.
0: I really like that example. Thank you so much for sharing that. So can you talk through what the difference is between what we would consider, you would consider like an outdated recruitment practice versus and you started to do that when you had intro Talentful. But can you talk about maybe some specifics of like, This is the way that it used to be done. And this is how we approach this at Talentful, where you think things are headed. Because trying to get the right people in the right role at the right time that fits that culture is a really big ask, right? Every company, it doesn't matter how big, small you are, like this is one of the biggest challenges is how do we attract wonderful talent? So how did that used to look like? And what does that look like now with the clients that you serve?
1: Sure. The traditional way of recruiting that has dominated the recruitment market for forever is that very traditional agency style, which I think is changing slowly. And there are certainly some wonderful agency recruits out there, but there is a lot of bad practice within that. And... I think you only have to open up LinkedIn to see a lot of the complaints that people have with that, particularly in tech, of recruiters not understanding the roles that they're hiring for, recruiters pushing roles onto candidates or candidates onto clients, making matches that aren't really right for either party. And really, I don't think that is solely the recruiter's fault. They're in an environment where they are heavily measured against their the amount of hires that they make and as i say their commission is dependent on getting that and also they don't have the access to hiring managers that they need so if they're hiring for a tech role the best way to learn about a tech role is to speak to the tech team and to sit in on interviews with the technical team and to live and breathe their world for a bit and an agency recruiter isn't able to do that because they're not in the company and they're serving so many other clients at the same time so i think that that's where talentful is able to benefit from the partnership that our, you know our clients buy into it as much as we do i think it is a real partnership it's why i keep referring to them as partners and it works best in companies that are willing to give that time and are willing to go on that journey with us and where i found as um, on my time as a recruiter that i really benefited from was speaking to those teams so if i was hiring for the sales team i would go into the sales team i'd sit with them i'd listen to them on calls I'd sit into interviews of candidates and, and we'd debrief with the hiring manager after. And we'd build up all of this qualitative data, all of this information meant that the hires that then I, that the candidates that I brought through would be only the ones that I thought were going to make it, you know, to final stage and be offered. So I think it's just about that. Recruitment is very context driven, it's about people, and those are things that people aren't numbers. So it is a very context driven industry. And I think that. That The agency model of working doesn't, it doesn't work for such a heavily context-driven world, whereas our world does because we're right there, we're able to speak to the teams that these people will be joining. And that's such a better experience for a candidate as well. If I can say to you, yeah, I was just working with Joe, actually, and Joe's the lead engineer, and we were just talking about his weekend and this is what he did. That's such a better experience because it allows the candidate to know the kind of people that they're going to be joining rather than just generic information about how long the company's been around and how well funded they are and that kind of soundbitey information that doesn't really tell you a lot.
0: I feel like there's a theme emerging as we're talking, like on the one hand, that strategy provides this rich context for someone to make really good decisions. And in terms of your business, having the context of your client and really understanding them provides an overall better experience, both for The person being recruited, as well as the company who's going to recruit them, as well as your client. All of this makes sense to me. So maybe we can switch gears just a little bit to talk about culture, because I can imagine, and we've talked about this before, it could be very alluring for somebody who is sitting client side to be like, you know what? It's nice here. I'm working really closely with these people. I feel a real strong connection with my client. That's wonderful. And maybe they have the inkling to say, what would it be like if I switched teams, so to speak? But it sounds like you have a fairly high retention rate, and that has a lot to do with your culture. Can you talk a bit about how culture plays a really big role, not only in implementing your operational strategies, but also what it means in terms of just retaining top talent as talentful?
1: Mm, Absolutely, it's definitely been a challenge for us that has only been exacerbated by the move to remote work, where before we had this really lovely way of working where you would come to Talentful on a Monday and a Friday and you'd be on your client side Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we'd all come back together and then we'd all go out to our clients and it was actually, startups can be really difficult to work in. And so I remember it being really nice because you go into this crazy environment, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you'd be really in the weeds of your client. And then on a Monday and Friday, you could come back to Talentful and you took a step back and it gave you the space to talk about things from an outside perspective, which then helped you be much better when you were back in it again, which I think, again, people don't benefit from if you're in that environment all the time. That was great. When we obviously moved to remote working, we couldn't, have that same cadence and that same space change that we'd had before. So culture really, it was really leaning into the bits of the culture that we saw working in a remote context. And one of the biggest ones of those is knowledge sharing. So we found, and I think that there's something about making sure that with culture, you you follow what's already working. And I think with Talentful, we've always been really good at Allowing our consultants to, in a very unstructured way, just use Slack and put in a a notification into a general channel and say, look, I'm hiring for this role. I've never hired for it before. Can you help me? And it's one of the best things about Talentful that everybody talks about and what everybody will mention as one of their favorite things, I think, that as soon as you do that... You'll have about seven or eight people immediately respond saying, yeah, I did this thing not two days ago and I can help you with this, or I can provide you this interview pack that I've already created. I can give you these candidates that I've already spoken to that are the silver medalists from the role I've just hired. All those kind of things. The help that you get is everyone will take five minutes out of their day to help you. And I think that's really special and something that we wanted to lean into a lot. And our people team builds on that with our L&D function and, and all those things to try and build more of those collaborative ways of working to make sure that it doesn't drop off. Obviously, now we're in a position where more people are in the company that joined in remote work than did before remote work. So teaching them that's the talentful way of working, particularly if they've come from an agency where it's more of a competitive environment, where perhaps you protect your knowledge rather than share it. And that's not an assumption. That's certainly something that those who've joined from agency have said that was something that they did. I think it's just a kind of behavior change and trying to get them to lean into that and contribute to that and take as much as well and just work with that very natural knowledge sharing culture that we have. So I think that's the way that we do it. And certainly we have seen people drop off. And I think that that's also something that that does happen and happens in, in every company, that the culture isn't for everybody. Some people don't want to contribute to that, that kind of hive mind and that's okay, but it's not going to work for us. You won't get the most out of Talentful and we won't get the most out of you. So it's probably better that you work in a different environment, but for those who do want to work like that, I think yeah, Talentful's the best place to be.
0: Well, it's, I mean, stellar endorsement. What can we say about that?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I wouldn't have stuck around for four years if it wasn't right.
0: (laughs) Same. I feel the same about my own company. You kind of, for sure, kind of fit the, you you kind of have to drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and really believe in who you work with and what you're working for and for whom. All of these things need to line up, I think, for individuals because purpose matters. And to that point, maybe we can talk about your growth trajectory. What happens when you grow as fast as you all have is things like specialization. And that sounds wonderful. And you've discussed just how specialized you can be in terms of even who you hire for and how connected you are and how much qualitative feedback is what as much as quantitative feedback that you have your hands on. Can you talk about like the not great things that happen when you grow this quickly? The siloing that may have happened at talentful Maybe information traveling slowly. You even mentioned like a lack of consistency in language. I would love to hear an example of what that means from UK, EMEA, the US teams. Maybe if you can, don't mind delving into that. And then even what happens with new hires, them getting plugged in? Like, how does that work? Can you talk through like the challenges of growing as quickly as you all have? And what, and we'll talk about in a little bit, like, how you overcame some of those challenges with OKRs as the OKR champion for your organization. But let's go with the challenges first. Can you just tell us some stories about that stuff?
1: Mm, Yep, there have been many, which is good because I love challenges. But there have been many. And I think you're absolutely right. You hit on a number of the key ones, one being around the silo of work, the breakdown of global definitions of words, the way that we've grown globally has added that culture in terms of country culture has added in there's different nuances of language across the US and the UK even things as as small as the date format which is causing chaos for a few for a month or so until I realized that it was happening even little things like that kind of can cause real challenges particularly when you're working remotely and I'm sure that everybody's experienced those to some extent the biggest challenge I think for us in terms of translating, like I said before, I think we started, when we first started with that kind of trying to standardize replicable work or create replicable work through standardization, I think that having a strategy written down was something that we were missing. Not having it meant that I sort of understood what we were trying to do. And I ran with that. Someone in another team, like a leader in another team that I maybe wasn't working with at that time had a slightly similar idea of what our strategy was and what we were trying to do, but slightly different. And they would run with something else. And those things were probably tackling a similar problem, but then wouldn't match up because we had slightly different approaches to it. And we weren't speaking to each other and we didn't know that we needed to. So I think that happened a lot and happens a lot less now, but it still happens to some extent, or we'll realize that, that there was something going on in a different department at a lower level that hadn't yet been communicated further up. And we'd just hear about it a little bit later. And it means that we have to unpick some things before starting again. So definitely siloed work, fragmented data, lots of different systems that don't integrate with each other. Those kind of things are problems that we're trying to solve. I think that that is the purpose of the operations team, right? We try to unify efforts. We try to keep everyone running in the same direction, but I do think that starts with a really strong strategy, which is where OKRs came in and having those written down and just, and it's something that our leadership team, I think it was new to our leadership team when we first brought them in, certainly new to our founder. We'd never had them at Talentful before, so it was new for us. So writing those down, learning from those, tracking those for a little bit, changing them, that trial and error has been part of what we've done on the strategy side. I now feel like we've got really good, really solid company level objectives that you can see how they join up to what everybody else is doing. And that's really helping us where with things like when we build new technology or when we bring in new tools, That really helps because we can, we know that within the operations team, we have, I suppose, guiding principles or objectives for that are consistent across any technical build out, like we should have single data entry. And that having that objective is so useful because then that means that in every call, I'll know to question about the integration potential. I'll know to talk about ensuring that we have global unique identifiers Another objective, I suppose, would be validation, validate data at the point of entry, which again means that I question things like, do we have definitions for this data point? How are we going to train all of these people on the definitions of those data points to make sure that they put in the right thing? And then on the more technical side can say, how can we facilitate that further through using the tech to help us? And it's those kind of having those objectives and knowing those objectives and having them written down helps me do my job properly and helps me query the right things and all those kind of things. But it also, because they're written down and other people can see them, it means that other people get used to hearing that pattern. They hear the same phrases and people start adopting the same phrases as well so that we can start seeing more. Again, like I said about the strategy is the leadership in the room when leadership aren't there. I think my objectives, if people can see them and people hear me saying them all the time, If that phrase, single data entry, is used in a room that I'm not in, people know what it means and they know that that means that we should talk about integration and we should talk about global unique identifiers. And I think that that really helps us keep on track with some of the crazy pace of change that we make. Making sure that you've got these things that people understand and people can repeat is so valuable. I'm sure that there was something else that you asked me about challenges wise, and I've totally forgotten what it was.
0: Oh, it's totally fine. I think we covered the big nuggets, the silos of individuals, how information tends to travel slowly, lack in consistency in language as you've expanded your team across the ocean. And then the last, which we can touch on, is how to incorporate new hires. Because Mm -hmm. that's a challenge for any company when you're growing this quickly. It's like, how do you get people Integrated as quickly as possible. And in your business, given probably the volume of hires you'll need to do, that is commensurate with the volume that you're able to deliver based on the number of consultants that you have on hand. And so when you hire someone, you, you got to get them ramped up really quickly. How do you get them to do that? What are some of your internal processes? And this is interesting because you're a recruitment agency to get talentful people online as quickly as you can. Any tips there? Hmm,
1: I think really it's a lot of what we've talked about already around if the more work that we can standardize and the more of that replicable work that we can have tech enabled, the easier that ramp up becomes because replicable work should be effortless, right? Like it should be you... You go into the system, you fill in all the information that is required of you, that you click next, that takes you to the right page, it triggers all the right things, those systems all talk to each other, it pushes all that information to where it needs to be, and everything's working. I mean, that's total dream state, and we're definitely not there yet, but that's where we're pushing for. And I think that the more that you can do that across all of the different ways of working at every level, at every department, every function within your company... That training becomes really easy as well. You can create the right videos for people where they and and centralize those videos so that they can find that on hand. You can start using Slack so that people can put in, I don't know, inputting a new hire and then up pops a video to how you do that. But none of that is really possible unless you standardize work to begin with. So I think that that is really what my kind of top tip, I guess, would be around ramping people up is first start with standardizing your work enable tech, enable that standardization and then, and create those training videos that people can absorb in their own time. And at the point where they need to do the thing rather than having one training session, and then they're expected to do it three weeks later, they need to have that training at the point that they need it. So I think that as well, then there's the other part, I suppose the part where it's not replicable are those decision points, at which point, if you've got the data to support those decisions and you know, what strategy is again, that should be something that is difficult, but achievable. And you should know whether or not you've made the right decision. If you've got a good culture where, you know, failing is okay and you debrief on failures and you have people that you can go to and know that you can lean on your team, then that kind of culture of knowledge sharing and support will definitely help as well. And having long tenured people in, I think retaining your, retaining people, I think people like, not to, in the least arrogant way possible, I think part of my value to for is that I have a huge amount of institutional knowledge that doesn't exist with people who've only been in the company for a couple of months. And keeping people like you and I around who have that institutional knowledge is so valuable when you're ramping up people, ramping up new hires, because that's where people can come to me and, and I'll give them context of... Something of, oh, that we do it this way because of this. And that helps, I think, as well to have tenured people in the company.
0: Yeah, I don't know how many conversations where I've been asked, like, why do we do it this way? And we're like, mm. and then we talk through, oh, well, at this point, this is what happened. And then it resulted in this, that and the other. And well, here we are now. But it doesn't mean that we have to be this way. We can certainly change it. And that's the fun part, I think, is being able to have new folks in there to shake up kind of our conventional institutional knowledge with maybe there's a better way mm. let's talk about prioritization for a moment because in your line of work it sounds like everything is urgent all the time
1: mm-hmm. like
0: we've discussed before when we first met like there's the on the one side having an angry client for example and versus that of a frustrated consultant how do you think through prioritization and what Degree do you think OKR okay, has helped shape that longer-term view on focusing on the opportunities at hand rather than always addressing these near-term reactionary fires?
1: It's a very really difficult question to answer. And also it was a very difficult challenge that one and one that's really ongoing, I think, of that proactive decision-making versus reactive decision-making. And really It's, I think, I imagine a challenge of every scaling company, particularly when you've, I think when you go through that small startup phase, you can have a lot of edge case clients and you never want to leave any revenue on the table. And rightly so, you're not going to make succeed if you do. When you get to scale up at stage, I think that that standardization of work, as I keep talking about, almost requires you to leave revenue on the table sometimes if something doesn't fit into your your ICP or, or whatever. So I think it starts with, and I think really this is the stage that I feel that we're still in, which is just challenging the edge cases. So we never let, I, <laughs> I never let an edge case go by. So when, if we say, oh, well, yes, I know that the process is usually that, but for this client, we're not going to do that for this reason. It's saying, okay, well, but does this client give a sufficient ROI To warrant them being an edge case. And ROI might not necessarily just be revenue. That return investment could come in many different ways. It might be future revenue, or it might be that they're a very low effort client, and this is a a shorter term contract. And so it doesn't require a huge amount of that revenue is there, but it doesn't require a huge amount of input from our side to recognize that. So I think challenging that and thinking out loud and getting people used to Uh, saying, okay, well, is this an instance where we want to make an exception or actually will making this exception now cost us in the future? And one of the, I suppose, to give a really tangible example of that is that where I said before, when I was a recruiter at Talentful, I was operating on site by myself. That doesn't really happen anymore at all. We have much bigger teams now and much bigger teams require more management structure, So we now have a role, which is our talent directors, and they're still client-facing, but they are split across several clients, and they provide strategic support. So they're kind of like an uber head of talent, if you like, who can provide that they're really experienced recruiters who are really experienced with recruitment leadership, and they're focused on an area, so they might be working with specific startups, and they can provide really valuable strategic guidance to these startups that help the company grow and also help our teams deliver to the best of their ability. Now we had an issue a few, several months ago where our talent director capacity was being absorbed by having too many individual contributor direct reports. So we'd have this talent director, which should be very strategic, but actually getting so involved with this junior level management and junior people need a lot of support to to be the best they can be. And they deserve a lot of support to be the best that they can be. But that meant that our director time was far too fragmented. Now where there is a bit of an economic downturn, of course, and hiring is less of a priority for clients. And so they, we do experience some pushback where clients maybe don't see the value immediately in a talent director. You know, it's like sliding doors really, isn't it? You don't know how good your talent function is going to be with strategic support versus without, and you'll never see the difference. So it's for us to communicate that value. But now, if we have a client come through that says, actually, I don't want a talent lead. So I don't want a manager between our director level and our consultant level, because I don't see the value in a talent lead. That is something that then I would say, okay, well, we can do this. Absolutely, we can do it. We can make an exception for this client. But... In six months time, when the market potentially bounces back, are we going to be in a position where our talent directors lose that capacity again? Are we going to be overworking those people? And if we are, does that mean that we're not going to be able to recognize three more clients because we said yes to this one today? And actually, does that cost us money, even if it feels like we're leaving revenue on the table now? And I think that it's talking through those situations. And sometimes the answer is, no, actually... There's real growth potential on this account. As soon as we get in and start proving our value to them, I'm really confident that this account could grow to 20 people, at which point we're going to put in a talent lead. Then away we go. In which case, fantastic, that's great. But once we've said that, we hold ourselves accountable to it. We remember why we made the edge case and what mitigation plan we had in place to ensure it didn't become a problem in future. And we can monitor that. Had we just let the edge case go, we would then maybe get into a problem later on down the line. Work that we weren't prepared for. And I think that's where we're at the moment is just looking at these edge cases, challenging those as they come up. So reactively challenging to make proactive decisions.
0: Well, I think that's it's so funny. I'm about to give a talk tomorrow at the time that we recorded this. And we're going to be talking about volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity that fun business term, VUCA, that everyone talks about. And what you just covered is really about volatility that the challenge is that it is unexpected or unstable, and you don't know how long the duration of that would be. But it's not necessarily something that's difficult to understand, and you have knowledge about it. An example that you just gave, I think, falls in that category. And so the best approach is to build in Slack and devote resources to be prepared for that eventuality. And so in some businesses, for example, this is why they would decide to stockpile inventory or in your instance, potentially overbuy on talent because there might be a surge later. And to your point, like the step to do so might be very expensive, but you have to weigh the investment to be commensurate with that risk or that opportunity in the future. And that's what you're trying to map to. And I think that's really cool. Mm. Nice. So we're going to wrap up with quick fire questions. If you're willing to do that. Absolutely. So first, what's your dream with the deadline, Gem?
1: Ooh. so I think I'm going to go with a personal one. As I'm a big gym enthusiast, I started training in a slightly different way at the beginning of the end of last year. So I started training in CrossFit and I would love to compete in a CrossFit competition So that is my objective. I've I've given myself quite a long leeway for that one. I'd like to do it by the end of next year because I'm very much someone who doesn't want to compete unless I think I'm in a chance of winning. So I think I'll go with that one.
0: (laughs) I love that. Go CrossFit. (laughs) All right. What do you appreciate most about your team?
1: Oh, everything. (laughs) I love my team. They are fantastic. I think most about them. I think it's their willingness to jump into everything. And I think it's actually one of our weaknesses, but I love it so much because I think it's our biggest strength and our biggest weakness is that we massively underestimate how difficult and time consuming tasks are, because we are so excited by them and so willing to get stuck in and we get them done. And I think that we don't shout about how great we are enough. I don't think we shout about the impact of the things that we've done enough because we don't see them as big things because we're just so excited about it. We're just doing our jobs. And I think that that's what it is. It's about that kind of passion, that drive and the hard work that that we all put in and just totally not realizing how big it is and how hard we have worked and all those things. Yeah. That (laughs)
0: I love that. I will break the flow really quickly to say at GTM Hub, it's actually pretty cool because we had a similar issue. Like we were just, we're just a gung-ho team. Like we Mm -hmm. just want to get stuff Mm -hmm. done and we get excited about the work. Mm -hmm. And we created two Slack channels. One of them is the shameless bragging channel where should one want, they can talk about how awesome they are. And unapologetically so. And people will champion that and cheer it on. And I think that's cool. And then the other one is a Daily Wind channel. And all the time you'll see people just thanking their teammates for just a job well done, no matter how big or small. And I really love that. Do you have something similar over at Talentful? I
1: love the Shameless Bragging channel. I'm definitely going to advocate for that to give me a place to do so. We have a Goals channel and that has it's really interesting actually that we brought this up now that we have a goals channel that has been very focused on placements made and that's something that existed four years ago when i joined that you had you put in goals and you just put in the placement that you made and everyone reacts to it and that's great um we don't that is now we have so many different roles in the company that's so focused on just one role so actually i have a call tomorrow at about this time to talk about changing that to a kudos channel where we can start celebrating all functions of the business and some of our kind of coordinator positions as well that are on on the delivery team so it's evolving so we have something but it's not quite right we're changing it and we'll definitely be advocating for a shameless bragging one too
0: <laughs> love the evolution there last question so for folks who are just starting out their journey or they're picking up their journey again on okrs to help them execute their strategies effectively. What advice would you give them being a seasoned veteran and being an OKR champion yourself?
1: Hmm. I think I wouldn't underestimate the time it takes to do them well. And I wouldn't rush through that because I think all of the time that you take, all of the kind of time that you spend trying to restructure them into a better way or really think about, okay, what is the one metric that is at the end point of all of this work? What is the bit that's going to really make everything we've done worthwhile and will communicate the value of all of this work to someone that doesn't know my function? All of the time that you put into that is so worth it. So I think I would just really take your time Talking about your objectives with your team, brainstorming those with your team, talking about the key metrics that all of that work is going to influence before starting. And I think we were guilty of it as well, that when we started, we just thought we need something, we need some structure and then we'll go. And it didn't work. Whereas this time we've really taken our time with it. And I feel really, really excited about kind of some of the changes that are going to happen as a result of this, just because I feel that we've taken a bit more time to structure them properly and really consider what it is that we're measuring and how that can show off the work that's being put in.
0: I love that so much, great advice. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation. So many knowledge bombs you've thrown. I just really appreciate you and wish you and Talentful all the best.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun to be here and appreciate you too.
0: That's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.